Welcome to Skidmark Show, the most socially distant show on the internet. Hell, we're so ahead of the curve with this pandemic that Jeff and Ethan aren't even in the same state right now. That's social distancing level expert. And in these strange and tingly times, we want to encourage everyone to stay safe and stay home if you can. That way you can listen to every episode of Skidmark Show as loud as you want and the boss won't know because you, fella... You're the boss now. Plus, with all that extra free time some of you have, you can pick up a new hobby or even start a home business. Just don't be one of those people that starts a podcast in your garage. There's too many of those out there right now. So sit back and relax and enjoy more Skidmark Show. And by sit back, I mean at least six feet away from the speaker. My voice is coming out of a little, a little one more, a little further back, please. Powered by Piz Oil. Hey guys, it's Al Petroli from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you're listening to the Skidmarks Show. This is Brett Michaels, and you're listening to Skidmarks yeah. right here, and we're about to rip it up tonight. Ooh. Rock hard, ride hard. Oh, hey there, man. This is Will Hunt. You listen to Skidmarks Show. Hello, and welcome to episode 115 of Skidmarks Show, your favorite podcast to keep you warm on those cold quarantine nights. Or if you're in the South, we'll keep you cool on those hot quarantine days. Okay, even I feel weird now. On this effluviant episode, Jeff gets Dave shooting on the phone. Dave has a show on the Discovery Channel you might have heard of called The Car Kings. Hey guys, Skidmark Show here in this episode. We've got a guy from the new Discovery Show called Car Kings, Dave Shutton. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. How you doing today in this quarantine situation? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Just trying to stay busy. Uh, I'm actually doing a little painting this morning. Um, you know, just kind of relaxing. It's been a crazy schedule the last six months. So in a way, this really isn't bothering me too much. It's nice to be able to relax a little bit. That's cool. So how long have you been actually working with Galpin? I've been with Galpin over 10 years. Okay. And how did, how did that relationship start? Was it just something that uh, were you... Were you working at one of the stores or how did this all come about? No. So I actually, I'm from Michigan and I was a tool maker back there for General Motors for about 16 years. And I was always building cars at my home shop and I had built a replica of Ed Roth's Mysterian in, I think, 03. And when I was going to sell it, uh, Bo, who's the owner of Galpin, contacted me and we couldn't really make a deal and I ended up selling it to another dude, but that started our relationship. And then when Orbitron, which was the only lost Roth car at the time was found in Juarez, Mexico in front of a sex shop being used as a dumpster. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. That, that's incredible. Actually, just right there, with, just adding what you just said right there is a story in itself. Yeah, it was a hot rod magazine called it the greatest barn find of all time, even though it didn't happen in a barn. Uh, so that's what happened. Um, Bo contacted me. I came to California for a few months and sort of led the restoration on that car. And he was so pleased. He brought me back to do a car for SEMA, a 69 Mustang that we actually built live on the Ford stage in three days from a shell. Oh, nice. Uh, which was crazy, you know, and that's a little out of my wheelhouse, but it was fun. And then, you know, after that, he's like, well, why don't you just come here and let's just do that. And at the time, General Motors was having a lot of problems. They were closing a lot of plants and it seemed like the right thing to do. So now I live in L.A. Nice. Well, I'm from L.A., so definitely know where, where cool. you're at and what's going on. And I've been to Galpin several times, whether to look at new nice. cars or go over to the Galpin 
you know, gas. Um, how did mm-hmm. how did that turn into this speed shop? Was that part of this whole deal when when it started with the Orbitron? <laughs> well, um, I guess the the real answer is I just can't work with anybody. I really need to be mostly by myself to think through and source everything and fabricate and all that stuff. So you know, working with a whole building full of people wasn't my thing. So Bo set me up with my own shop. And right up until we started filming, I worked by myself and just kept banging out car after car. Nice. Is there, is there one yeah. car that just like is is the one for you that you restored? Um. Well, I think my the favorite my favorite build this far is a car called Iron Orchid, and it's a 1934 Ford five window, and it was built actually to compete for the Riddler. And I sort of took a different approach than most people. I wanted to build the, just the nastiest, coolest, craziest car that could have been built in 1965. So I used nothing but pre-65 parts on it. Uh, and it, it, it's still my favorite build and it was probably the most expensive and certainly took the longest, but everything is one off. It's, it's by far my favorite so far. Oh, cool! And then, so did you? You took that to shows. How did that? How did that fare? Well, um, <laughs> it's ironic how the sh- the car show circuit really works. So I took the car to Detroit, you know, and entered it for the Riddler, and none of the judges knew what to think about it. It was completely sideways from what nobody was ready for that. So. I ended up, I kind of screwed myself and Bo by doing it that way. But on the other hand, it was the most uh, publicized and uh, it was been in books. And my, for two years straight, it was the most publicized car. So I, I think it, it hit where it was supposed to. And the, you know, the judges, I never really cared what they think anyway. <laughs> You're like me. I don't go to car shows just because I'm like, why do I care what anybody else's opinion is? I like what I built. Yeah, that's cool. The the car actually had people like 15 deep around it through the entire show. No other car drew that kind of attention. And it was immediately like on the cover of magazines within a month. Just it was insane. So what what uh, power plant did you use in it? I mean, I've got pictures on here, but I want the I want all the fans listening to be able to kind of uh, you know. Well, so if you take into account that it had to be pre sixty five, right? And one of the stipulations, you know, from Bo was that it needed to be Ford powered. So the the obvious choice for the coolest thing that they really ever made, you know, pre sixty five, was a four twenty seven side oiler. Uh, the same engine that was in the Thunderbolts and the early AC Cobras. So did one of those with a lot of crazy Mickey Thompson speed equipment and literally chromed everything. I think it was about 2,400 chrome pieces on that car. Wow. Incredible. How 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 long was this build? It took, uh, I think, 14 months. Okay. so Which is the longest I've ever spent on a single car in my life. Well, there you go. But then, then if you fast forward 2014... You guys were inducted to the the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was really cool. You know, I think I was, if not the, or certainly one of the youngest people to be inducted into that. It was a huge honor. Really cool when, you know, your peers and the people that you really look up to think that highly of what you're doing. You know, that's 
that's what really matters. Yeah, so you guys were inducted to the National Rod and Custom Car Hall of Fame in yeah, so that that in itself was really even kind of, I would say, even better than winning the Riddler. Yeah, the Riddler thing, just like the AMBR thing out here at Grand National, it's it's very prestigious, but it's a really political situation. And I'm not, I'm not great at playing all those games. I just want to build cool shit. Gotcha. Me too. I'm the same way. It's like when I want to build something, uh, you know, game off. I mean, I don't care what anybody thinks how it's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, it's my vision. It's what I want to do. And and I feel like you're the same way when it comes to that. So then fast forward a little bit for us and and tell us, how did this show come about? Was this something you always wanted to do? Get on TV with Discovery and and, and show what you can do on TV? Or is it was something that uh, Bo was interested in getting back into? Because Galpin's been involved with quite a few reality shows over the years. Correct. Yeah. It's something that Bo and I have always talked about. And We've also been saying, you know, turning people down for a very long time because they never really wanted to do the kind of show that we wanted to do, which is real cars, real history, uh, pedigree, you know, give credit to a lot of the unsung heroes of the time that, you know, that, that did great, important things and never really got, you know, the recognition that they deserved. And, you know, to do it without all the drama and the bullshit. And so far, everybody seems to love the show because it is all of those things. Cool. That's cool. And then you go back all the way to your first customizing car was done when you were 15 years old? Yeah. I, um, I had a 66 Impala Supersport that was my first car. And I must have built that thing like six different times. And finally, I gave up and moved on. But uh, I learned a lot doing that thing. I did a frame off restoration on it first in my parents' driveway because my, you know, the whole thing wouldn't fit in a one car garage. So, <laughs> it, it, yeah, I did some great pictures of the body on cinder blocks and the frame in the in the garage, and you know, we all kind of start in the same place, I think, and you know, some of us just get to keep playing longer than others. Yeah, I think it's. I think that remains the same. You know, I bought my first car when I was thirteen. I bought a '69 Z28 and uh, tinkered with it a little bit. And then uh, I think my parents thought it was too much horsepower. I was going to kill myself, and I moved to a lowered '85 GMC truck. So, you know, you kind of just go through. Those, <laughs> you kind of go through those, you know, stages. You know, I went from a 302 DZ motor to a 305 gutless General Motors motor. But hey, those were the times, right? Oh yeah, I remember in the early '90s. Uh, the first car I bought brand new, or truck, I should say, uh, was a 91 GMC Cyclone. And that was my daily in Michigan for like three years. Oh, well, those are sick trucks. Yeah, I still miss that thing. It was so much fun to drive. Holy shit. And I think, you know, and, and they're already starting to come up in value, but I would think for, you know, like 10 years from now, people are going to be restoring those and the typhoons I would think and stuff so. like that is going to come mean, back hot and heavy. Yeah, that was a weird time because, you know, performance had all but ended at that time. And for that thing to come out and be faster than any other car made that year, even the, the Porsches and all the crazy stuff. I mean, I remember racing uh, ZR1 Corvettes and Grand Nationals, and I would just murder those cars. <laughs> well, you had all-wheel drive. Correct. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's a, that's that, a, that's that a made big all the leap forward, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. So, uh, all, <laughs> all the cars like you restored, I mean, I, I went through some of the stuff, and you've done some, you know, uh, Jay Orberg, 
Ed Roth, obviously with the Orbitron. Is there is there that one car that's out there that you're that may not have been discovered yet, or something that you're like, I would just love to get my hands on it and put my touch to it. There, there's a couple of those actually, and I, and I <laughs> sadly, I know exactly where they are, and I just haven't been able to buy them yet. Uh, one of them is the Exonic, which is a '57 Corvette made into a bubble top show car. Oh wow! And it's important because it crosses a lot of bridges. You know, it was a '57 Fuley Corvette, which is arguably one of the best vets ever. And then you, you add the full custom show car treatment to it, which is rad. And Larry Watson painted it like 20 different times and it kept getting changed. But the most significant thing is it's the first documented car with hydraulic suspension. So essentially it's the first low rider. Oh, I never thought of that. So, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So it does have a big story there and, and what a curve. And, and you know where the car is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I do. I know where the car is. It's here in California. I've been trying to get it for about 12 years. Uh, I hear he might be getting, you know, close to finally wanting to do something, but it's hard to say. All right. So then let's, let's look at this car because you go from something like that to something that measured 23 feet long and six feet wide. Oh, the... <laughs> is that the Pink Panther? Yes. Yeah. That one was pretty insane. Um, just because, you know, most of these cars that were built as full show cars of the time or show rods, as we've always called them, they weren't really ever made to, to drive, not like a car. So you're essentially driving a sculpture and they're just not made for like the Pink Panther. For instance, I did an episode on Jay Leno where I drove him around on that car and he was in the back, you know, in his pink tux and it was pretty ridiculous and funny, but I'm smashed up in the, the front cockpit of this thing. And it's like a hand throttle and the brakes on the wrong side and the steering wheels like eight inches in the car is so big and you can't see anything. It's terrifying. And the engine's right behind your head. Um, <laughs> you can't hear anything. You can barely see anything. It was, it was trippy. It was, it's, it's one of the weirdest things I've ever done and drove by far. Did you start with building models? Was that- I, I did. I, I mean, I blame Hot Wheels for the initial like ruining of my brain, but model kits and then customizing them and everything. Oh yeah. That was, that was fantastic. So you blame Larry Wood for all the crazy ideas that popped in your head? A hundred percent. And I told him that he came to visit me a couple of years ago and it was so cool to see, to finally meet him, A, and to see how cool, you know, he was when I, he was so excited when I told him that he basically sparked my whole career with his designs and all the, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the original 16 Hot Wheels, the very first ones, were all real cars and they were all Southern California cars, except for the Diora, which was Alexander Brothers out of Michigan. So, you know, those were his car club buddies. That's how this all started was with him in the early times car club with Dan Woods and Jake Jacobs and all these heavy hitters back in the day. And they were just having fun. They had no idea they were making history. No doubt. And that's so cool because I didn't even know that about the first 16. I had a few of them, but I never knew that story behind them. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. His, his El Camino is at the Peterson right now. Uh, Harry Bradley's, I'm sorry, who also was a big part of Hot Wheels. And it was the flat or the custom fleet line, one of the original 16. So that car is available for people to see as well. 
at the Peterson. That's cool. No mm-hmm. doubt. So working with Bo Bachman, that's got to be pretty cool because Galpin is, is a huge name in the, in the car world, but he's also a, a huge car fanatic. Yeah, man. Like it's really cool because I, working with him is amazing because he totally respects everything that I do. And, you know, he doesn't really like, he doesn't have to manage me. We just got to like figure out what project we want to do next. And, and that's it. You know, so I love the freedom that he allows me, and I really appreciate, you know, him tolerating my weird artist mentality and just letting me do my thing. It's amazing. It, I couldn't ask for anything else. That's cool. That's cool. It's you know, it's always cool when you are so passionate about what you do, but then the person you're working with or working for is also has that same passion. Then it that kind of lets you have that kind of freedom to move around, but also you guys have a common goal. So that's kind of cool to have that. So what, what could we expect to see currently in the showroom at the speed shop? Uh, let's see. Is there anything in, you could talk about? I should room, say. Uh, in the showroom at the speed shop, uh, which is a small one. We have a, a lot of great history in there. There is a couple of Barris cars, the bed buggy, uh, the mail truck. Also, Speaking of Larry Wood, there is the Stage Fright show rod, which was actually one of my very first Hot Wheels in the early 70s. Uh, we have the Moonliner, Streamliner, uh, Bonneville car that was raced in the late 50s. There's a whole bunch of Von Dutch stuff, including his Toad, which is a little car made out of an Isetta. There is the crazy Henry J drag car that I built a couple of years ago called Henry Jaded, and an Ed Ross kit trike that I did last year and the recreation of the Garrity and Crawford grasshopper from the cover of hot rod magazine, 1959. Wow. There's a lot of history just there in that one room. Right. And then the collection, you know, it, right now we have, I think seven of our Roth cars, including iron orchid in the, uh, national Corvette museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky for a big Ed Roth exhibit that's going on there for a year. So that's a, a really cool thing and a big honor. And it gets, a, you know, all those cars out there where a lot more people can see them. And, you know, we have all the Dan Woods trucks that have been restored. Chuck Miller's Riddler winning fire truck in the collection. Uh, a whole bunch of Roth stuff still. There's, you know, Winfield uh, trucks, his Pacifica and his gold shop truck. The Pink Panther, the Twin Bathtub, which is next week's episode uh, on Monday. And then, you know, a bunch of Shelby's and a lot of great Ford stuff. A lot of early race cars that we sponsored, like the backup pickup and the four-engine Mustang. Uh, Larry Fullerton's Maverick funny car with a camera in it. Just all kinds of great stuff. <laughs> Sounds like you have the dream job. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure, actually. I, I mean, I wouldn't even begin to know what I'd be doing if i wasn't doing this interesting part you you brought up working alone is it one of those things like like you said you know sourcing parts and just trying to be creative and fabrication wise is there is there like a you know because a lot of these parts were all handmade back then most of them were and so they weren't off the shelf type stuff so how does that go about when you're restoring one of these classics well it, it usually starts with you know a couple weeks of research and gathering all the images that I can possibly get showing everything. And the problem is, is all these cars sort of changed as time went on. So you sort of have to pick a window in time and find everything right then and then build it 
or restore it back to that point as much as you can. Now, a lot of the stuff that were used on these custom cars and the show cars were aftermarket accessory items and speed equipment. So you really have to be familiar with, you know, all of that stuff that was aftermarket sold from the 50s right through like the 70s to be able to even identify what half of that stuff is. Mm -hmm. So you try to research and find the authentic parts. So you're not using like 3D printers to create anything that you can't find or, or, or is that even, is that something that you do do? using in the day-to-day i mean i i i've used them a couple times and there's a couple projects coming up in the future where i'm certainly going to use them for sure but i don't i haven't needed to all that much as of yet Mm -hmm. i've always been able to find you know at least one thing so we can scan it and you know cut it out on a cnc machine or just fab it you know right here no it's none of it all the stuff they were doing back then isn't as technologically advanced as we're doing it now. So in a lot of ways, it's way easier to replicate something now as long as you have a sample from this. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. So people like Moon Eyes and, you know, obviously you mentioned some of the other, uh, you know, aftermarket manufacturers. Are they excited mm-hmm. when they see you getting involved with the project? Because obviously... Uh, a lot of their parts were used on a lot of this early stuff. Yeah, Moon being one of the biggest. You know, Moon Eyes, I love all those guys. You know, the owner, Shige Suganuma from Yokohama, Japan, is, you know, a great friend. And what's amazing about Moon is they're still in the same building in Santa Fe Springs where they were in the 50s. They're still making most of all the same parts and accessories that they've made all through the years. And they're doing them all the same way on the same machines. And, you know, it's, there's just not a lot of places out there, save Offenhauser or Iski or whatever, that's sort of a, a time warp where you go there and it's, it's just like walking back in there. I mean, it's pretty great. Yeah, you know his tooling costs have to be real low at this point. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is great given the amount of people that are stealing all their designs and selling them, you know, for half the price as cheap knockoffs. So if I could come out of this whole thing, you know, with accomplishing anything, it would be to get people to support the OG part suppliers that are out there because, you know, pretty soon, you know, we're, we're not, we're going to close if, if people don't support them. And then where are we going to find that stuff? True. And it, you know, it even goes back to like when we were talking about even modern stuff, you know, there doesn't go a day or two that you can't find a photo on Instagram or Facebook or any kind of social media where somebody has a aftermarket wheel that is snapped from the horsepower and torque on a vehicle and it's snapped from the hub and it's because they're they're making a knockoff of of like a really known brand you know we we use a lot of forge line, forge line wheels on our later model builds like whether we're building a thousand horsepower GTR or you know something else like a I have a Roush powered 63 uh, Ford Falcon we call Ronin and you know they built those they built those wheels and we built those wheels with you know I wanted those wheels on that vehicle because I was going to put it to the test and you want a company that supports it's made in America um, not just saying it, it doesn't even have to really be American made parts but just genuine parts that are made by the original people versus getting knockoffs and I think that that has run rampant and uh, you know I, I can't tell you how many times uh, a guy in my shops ordered 
a knockoff part because it was less expensive for something and then it ends up costing you two or three times more because you're you end up replacing it more often yeah and and you know body panels are the best example of that any aftermarket body panel the amount of work that it takes to actually get it to fit and look proper it, it's it's not even worth it i'd rather fix an old rusty fender any day then go through all the shit to make one of these new ones work. Yeah. Did you get a chance to, you know, go switching back here, but the Orbitron, did you get a chance to drive that when you were done? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I drove it. How did it drive? Many times. It's, you know, it, it, given that it probably was never made to drive in the first place, it's, it's actually very comfortable. It gets warm pretty quick uh, because it, you know, it, was, it doesn't even have a fan. Um, and I'm an idiot because I refuse to put anything on there that it didn't have originally. I don't, so think, it doesn't I, long. I don't think you're an idiot for that. I think that's cool. It's all about keep, <laughs> keeping it real, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, but I remember a, a couple of years ago, you know, we actually drove that up to collect our trophy at the Amelia Island concourse, you know, amongst all the Bugattis and the Rolls Royces and all that crazy multi-million dollar shit. And the people lost their minds when they see the spaceship driving up there and the bubble opening up and, you know, them giving us a trophy. It was pretty rad. I thought that was pretty cool, too, because uh, it wasn't this year, but the year before that they were acknowledging those vehicles also out in Monterey at Pebble Beach. And I thought, mm-hmm. how cool is that? That, you know, they're starting to see that the interest levels change and we're all car fanatics. Whether we're into, you know, uh, a million dollar Ferrari or a hot rod that was made by George Barris. I mean, th- we, we all love all things automotive. And um, to, sure. see, to see that mix on the beach was really cool. I thought that was, a, was such a cool experience. And it was also the first year that Infinity got together and put together the Japanese Invitational. And I thought, now there you go. That's a step forward. We're, you know, acknowledge, oh, yeah, acknowledging their, their, their cars and their and their concepts and things that they came to you know brought to the table um and a lot of things mm-hmm. that we've used in america and tried to emulate so it's it's, it's cool to see all, everybody kind of coming together with that but it was also cool to see you know old hot rods on pebble beach i'll never forget that i was just like whoa this is blown away versus seeing the you know the old bugattis and and the other stuff and that's great and i love all that stuff too but it was really kind of iconic to be there the year that they had the hot rods on the beach so yeah, I remember the first time we've had Orbitron at several concourse events, and I remember the very first time, and it was right after it was found and restored and whatever, and it was at Amelia Island, and you know we were standing out there with the car, and uh, you know the the typical person for that show came over, and he and he was he had this look of just utter disgust on his face, and it was so funny, and he's like, well, what is this? <laughs> And and I told him, and he goes, well, I don't understand. Why is he? Why is this here? And uh, so the only way that I I could think of to make him understand was this. And I asked him, do you have a car here? And he goes, yeah, I have. I don't know what the hell it was, but there was a bunch of them made, and it was fancy and really expensive. So I said, okay, well, how many did they make of that? And I think it was like thirty or something like that. I said, well, there's only one of these, and you can't have it. And, and until you put it in that context where it's a one of one and it's not attainable, only then in a lot of those super high-end people's eyes does it all of a sudden automatically have value. Huh. That's a good way of looking at it. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool to see the, uh, 
to see the look, you know, on his face when, when I told him there was only one of these and that's why it's here because it's more rare than any of these other things, you know, whatever. And once he got it, he was really cool. Um, so <laughs> one down, I guess. Well, one down and a, and a whole bunch more to go, but I think, I think it's starting to bend and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, they're talking about the pandemic. We need to flatten out the curve. Well, it's the same thing goes with the car enthusiast market and, and they're starting to make leaps and bounds. There's things that people are starting to change it up because they realize that, um, you know, there's, there's an, there's an old saying that, you know, there's nobody left around that, that, it, that really enjoyed those cars, whether you're looking at like a original model T or some of the other stuff. You know, mm-hmm. half the people don't even know how to drive them anymore. They look at the three pedals oh, no. on the floor and they don't understand it. So, I th- yeah, I think yeah, driving a Model T's hell. It's a lot like well, remember Ford made tractors first, so I always just say it's like driving a tractor. Right. But unless you drove a tractor, you wouldn't know. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I think it's it's cool that they're starting to open up the ideas and understanding that. Um, as as we go through time, things are changing, things are moving. The hot rod movement was huge, and the customization of cars, you know, was was groundbreaking from the time that they started doing it back in the day. And, and, and legends like Ed Roth, and you mentioned him, George Barris, some of the other people that were involved, you know, Gene Winfield, you know, who uh, thank goodness is still kicking, still moving and grooving. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm convinced he's an alien, by the way. Oh man, I, love him, so. I, I think it's awesome yeah. when you go to a show and you, he's cutting roofs and he's showing everybody how to chop tops. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. You know, I, I hope so I'm, I'm around with that kind of enthusiasm at his age, you know, like Gene is. And, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've always wanted to go out of Gene's place because I hear he's got storage containers just full of cars. So, I don't, oh yeah, he's got great stuff out there in Mojave. Oh yeah. I mean, what a weird, weird place to keep it, right? Woo. A little steamy, but, <laughs> yeah. but how, how cool is that? So, like we went through your influences and we talked about some of the other, uh, you know, restoring these iconic rides, but what are the current hot rod trends that you see going on? Well, I think traditional is really coming back strong. I think, uh, rat rod stuff is really dying finally. So that makes me a little happy. Uh, <laughs> and there was a time when I was a fan, but you know, they sort of lost their way and they got really out of control. So I'm, I'm glad that's sort of slowing down. You know, people are are really big into traditional stuff. They're they're using a lot of, you know, uncommon engines now and I love all that. You know, I I sort of live in the in the sixties. That's my favorite point in time for hot rods. That's where all my personal cars are based and everything. So I just think, you know, it's it's really cool to see people getting interested in the old hot rod stuff, the early stuff, like the forties and the early fifties, where it all began, so to speak. And you know, another good example of that is the race of gentlemen that Mel puts on. He does a great job and keeps it super traditional. And it's been a lot of fun. I've raced at two of his events and I've been to four of them and it's really cool to see all those amazing vintage bikes and all the super bitching vintage hot rods racing on the beach. I mean, that's really cool. I'd like to see more of that. No doubt. I think, you know, I think the whole rat rod thing, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I like the traditional stuff. I've also had some rat rods, but those rat rods, I always felt like were stuff that would have been built back in the time. And, and really, it wouldn't have been considered, back then, it wouldn't have been considered a rat rod. It still would have been considered a hot rod. I think where 
things went Correct. things went really bad where it's where people were just taking pieces and fabricating them and and pouring water on them and letting them rust and adding them to there. And, just, and it was almost like they were, they were making these, uh, I want to say art cars for a ba- lack of a better term, but they were making, you know, art cars and, and calling them a rat rod. And, you know, there are things that wouldn't have gone together and things that didn't work. And I think the whole, you know, if you look at the history of what, what a, I believe a real rat rod was is, is a rat rod was a car that a kid didn't have a lot of money, went to junkyard and he found the rear end out of this car and, he knew that this Oldsmobile motor had this much horsepower and he was mounting it up with this transmission and he was using, maybe he didn't have enough money for four tires. So he's buying two, you know, cheater slick white walls in the back or, you know, whatever it is. And, and mm-hmm. but those cars to me, I, I mean, they're, they're classified as a rat rod, but they, they really are, are more of what a traditional hot rod would have been, you know, um, you know, the, a lot of these hot, you know, these cars, cars all came out of the factory with hoods. But the hot rodders were getting rid of the hoods, you know what I mean? So, and I think yeah. that, I think that's where it went bad. I think that's where, I don't want to say it went bad. I mean, every, everybody's got their place. Everybody's got their things they like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think I kind of tune out when they weren't well built. I mean, uh, every rat rod that we had, and I never built one, but everyone we had was, it, it took as much time or more than to build it the other way. So, you know, they were all like. Well, yeah, uh, I think. You know, I'm I'm down I, as long as you know whoever's card is they like it. I love it. I don't I don't you know disrespect anybody's choices. Uh, the one thing that I can say is a lot of them that I've seen aren't built safely. Oh, and yeah, no doubt. That's that gets a little scary to me. You know, where I've had people come in and and uh, you know want something done to their car, and I said, well, yeah, but. You know, all this other stuff, like you can't weld steel to aluminum and that's the only thing holding your steering box in. The things like that uh, freak me out a little bit. I, I mean, I don't care what anybody builds, but, you know, brakes, steering, those come first. And, you know, that's the shit that you just don't skimp on. Totally. Totally agree. And, and especially with you being around the car show circuit and even the old, you know, like we talked about the, the old school show cars weren't really made to be driven Mm -hmm. and a lot of those were were the traditional you know the meaning of trailer queen because they were literally built (laughs) to go on and show you know and like you talked about the pink panther car wasn't made to go on the hot rod power tour you know no it all those cars all those show rods the really crazy ones you know as sad as it is probably 50 percent of them were never made to even move under their own power. Half of them had gutted engines. They were a static showpiece. And, you know, they still have their place. And I, I love them from the art standpoint and the creative aspect. But at least I can say all the ones that I do and restore, whether they were made to work or not, they work when I'm done with them because I'd rather drive it than push it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> I don't need my workout with my car. So Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, coming up on next week's episode with the twin bathtub show car that was built by Reisner, toured all over the world with the Pink Panther and the milk truck and everything, it was a static display car. And now it drives. And we even, you know, the coolest part about this episode is we take that car to Yokohama, Japan for the Moon Eye show and it drives in under its own power and the whole building just loses its mind. That's it's, awesome. It's crazy. That's so cool. 
Hey guys, it's been fun catching up with Dave from Car Kings. You guys can check him out on Discovery Channel Monday nights. Dave, thank you so much for being on Skidmark Show. I can't wait for the next episode. Looking forward to your next build and uh, one day we'll hook up. All right, man. Thanks so much for having me. Y'all take care. All right. Take care, Dave. Thank you. On the next episode of Skidmark Show, I'll talk to the guitar tech for a band called Tesla. We'll find out what he's doing to pass the time during the quarantine. And I'll get with Greg Upchurch, the drummer for Three Doors Down, who is definitely making a lot of music during the quarantine. On social media and leave us a five-star rating or a nice review anywhere you get your podcast because we would leave you a five-star review if we could. But I googled you and did you know those pictures were on the internet? Maybe you should spend some quarantine time googling yourself in private. Until the next episode, stay safe and at least six feet away from me. Thanks for listening to Skidmark Show. We'll have another episode full of fast cars and rock stars ready for you soon. Until then, be sure to share this episode with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and all social media. And leave us a five-star review everywhere you get your podcasts. Until next time, listen loud and drive fast when nobody's looking. Powered by Pinsoil. Pinsoil.